Welcome to Hope Community Podcast. It's great to have you join us today listening online. We pray you'll be impacted by our message this week. Enjoy. Who believes God's still got more to do this morning? Who's hungry for something for themselves, a deposit, a seed? I wanna introduce our special friends here today. Down here with us, we have Daniel and Elise Pappas, Senior Pastors of Meriden Community Church up at Caloundra. Haven't known these guys for that long, but sometimes you meet people who you can just tell have a beautiful spirit. There is an alignment in the Kingdom and you'll be friends for life. So today they have kindly offered to come and be with us to leave their own church. We don't know what's happening there right now. Uh, They've been leading there for one year, officially now, just celebrated one year. Amazing. Meriden is eight years old now, just celebrated their eighth birthday. And what's really exciting, they've received a miracle also recently. And Elise, in the coming weeks, will give birth to twin baby girls. So, praise the Lord. Toby, can you grab that white gift under there? The whole box, that's it. And uh, guys, this is for you. There's some special things um, just to help you survive. So they have two, there's two more on the way, but praise Lord, we love that. And uh, you guys are gonna have a very special Christmas and New Year, which is amazing. We're so grateful to have you with us. Why don't you put your hands together? I'm gonna invite Daniel up here and then we're gonna pray for him. All right, stretch out a hand, church. Father, we just thank You for Daniel. We thank You for this Word that You've put on his heart to bring and bless us with today, Father. And so Holy Spirit, we pray that You would use this man to speak Your Word, Your truth, Your Word in season to us and that we would be ready and prepared, hungry to receive what You have to say to each one of us today. We bless him in Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. All right, put your hands together one more time, church. Well, good morning. Can I just say, if this is your first time here at Hope Community Church, we're thrilled that you're here. It's my first time as well. Uh, But so far, it seems like these are good people. And um, as, uh, as Dan mentioned, he and I have only really known each other for the last three months. He's never heard me preach. So this could be terrible and he doesn't know yet, right? And so um, we, were, we were put together on a, a pastor's uh, retreat. I think they put us together because we looked like we were naughty. And so um, they put us together. And to be, to be quite honest, I actually quite enjoyed getting to know your pastor and, uh, and quite grateful actually for his friendship, even over this short time. Um, because for us, we have, we've moved to a new church. Um, we'd grown up in a church. Uh, in fact, the church that I'd grown up in was a church that we were pastoring and had resigned from there, but with a sense that God wanted to do something new. And, uh, and so for us now at a new church and in a new movement, um, being able to make some friends has been, um, has been really good. So we're very grateful for your pastors. Would you put your hands together for them? They're good people. And uh, Elise is with me today. We, we do have a bit of a miracle happening. Uh, we've got a little boy, Jonathan, who's nine, who's here today, and our little girl, Sophie, who was running around before, uh, all throughout worship. 
And, uh, and so they're here with us this morning as well. And, uh, and then we've got twins that are on the way, uh, which is a bit of a miracle. We, we keep on being introduced to people who've got twins, like, oh, you guys should meet these guys. They've got twins too. And, and the people with twins just look at us and start laughing, <laughs> which is quite disconcerting. And so, um, and so it is a bit of a miracle for us though. And, and for us, um, if, you, if you realize the whole story for us, uh, you'd realize just how much of a miracle it is. Anytime there's babies born, that's a miracle. And, um, but, but especially uh, for us, because we were told we would never be able to have children. Um, in fact, we were told that by a uh, leading doctor. Uh, Elise had been working for a cardiac surgeon and, um, and she was having these troubles. And he was friends with a guy who was a leading gynecologist who said, I, I think your, your staff member should come and see me. And uh, he, he said to us after the operation, he said, it's going to be really difficult for you guys to have children. You should start trying to have children right now. We were dating at the time, so we assured him we weren't going to do that just yet. Uh, we're trying to stay away from that, actually. That was a, that was a tricky thing. And, um, and, so, uh, and so the fact that, that Jonathan was born and Sophie was born and now for the twins to come, that's quite miraculous. In fact, Elise wrote a, um, a book called Promise Keeper. And if you've ever had a promise from God that, that hasn't yet been claimed, that hasn't yet come in, uh, you've got a word from God, but, but, but you feel like maybe this was just me dreaming it up, then, then this book, I, I, um, I believe, will really help you. Uh, because we wrote down on a piece of paper four things that over the next 12 months, God did quite miraculously. And, um, and this is kind of the story of that journey, not just of, of Sophie, um, but, but also what God did over a period of 12 months. And uh, I believe it'll really encourage you in your own journey of faith, especially if you believe in God for something. Um, Elisa's now sold more books uh, of Promise Keeper than Kevin Rudd ever sold of his autobiography. So just <laughs> FYI. Um, so they're available after the service and you can meet Elise and find out some more of the story. And uh, there you go. That's good. Can, can we pray? And then we're going to get started. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity I have this morning to be able to preach your word. God, I pray that you'd open our hearts. And you'd open our ears to be able to hear it. Holy Spirit, today that you'd take my words and you'd attach your supernatural power to them. That God, they wouldn't just remain in this room, but God, something would begin to germinate. God, in our own lives as we leave today. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Isaiah 43 and verse 18 and 19 is where we're going to this morning. Isaiah 43, verse 18. This is what the Bible says. It says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, God says, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God says, see, behold, I do a new thing. I want to speak to us this morning on the new thing that God wants to be able to do. Because God wants to do a new thing in your life. God wants to do a new thing in your marriage. God wants to be able to do a new thing in your business. God is fixing to do a new thing in this church because He is a God of new things. And so in Isaiah 43, he encourages, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Some people spend their entire life looking through the prism of the old thing. 
Come on, we've met people that are like this. They live their whole life looking through the lens and the prism of the old thing. You know, I remember the way things used to be and I remember the songs that we used to sing and I remember when, and they remember everything through the lens of the old thing. And the truth is things are never as good as you remember them to be. Equally, things are never as bad as you remember them to be either. My mum, who now, my parents are now attending our church. They moved from North Queensland and now living on the Sunshine Coast. And my mum one day said to me over lunch after a church service, she said, you know, in all the stories you tell, Dan, I always end up being the villain and you always end up being the hero. <laughs> I said, mum, that's just because that's how I remember all of those stories. But some people live their life through the prism of the old thing. It's never as good as you remember. It's never as bad as you remember either. It's a terrible way to be able to live. Sometimes Elise will say to me, she'll say, you know, I remember when we were dating and you couldn't take your eyes off me. You'd miss the lights as they changed because you're so distracted by me sitting in the passenger seat. And I have to remind her, Elise, we're not living in the past. We're making brand new memories here today. Some people live their lives through the lens of the old thing. Some people, they don't live their life that way. They live their life through the lens of the same thing. You could leave and come back in 10 years and they'll still be talking about the same things. They'll still be complaining about the same things. They'll still be dreaming about the same things. It's just their life is the same thing over and over and over again. They, they assume that this is just my lot in life. This is the way it is for me. It's the way it was for my father and the way it is for my grandfather. And, and so this is just my lot in life. And sometimes they even dress it up to make it sound like it's faithful. Well, you know, if it's God's will. But, but actually, that's not faith. That's fatalism right? But where you treat your life like it's a billiard ball on the table being shuttered about by fate or cosmic forces, right? That, that's not faith because faith always leads to some form of action. Some people live their life not focused on the old thing, they focus just on the same thing. Winston Churchill said that life is just one damn thing after the next. Some people live their life that way. Some people, they're not focused on the old thing or even the same thing, they're focused on the next thing. They're always looking to how can they incrementally move their life forward and, and take the next run up the ladder. And whilst it's not bad to move your life forward to, to the next thing, oftentimes that's not where God is. But, but some people live their life that way. They're always trying to climb the ladder or make the next incremental step or how can they get ahead? Most of those people live on the Gold Coast. <laughs> but I found in my life that, that God's not stuck in the old thing or, or the same thing, or even just the incremental next thing. He's the God of brand new things. But that's why he says, forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. That just when you think you've got God fully worked out and you know exactly how he does things, he is able to step outside of the bounds of your imagination and do something brand new because he is a God of new things. That's why Jesus comes to administer a new covenant, not the next covenant. That's why when a person says yes to Jesus, they don't become a slightly better version of their old self, do they? They become a brand new creation. That's why when Jesus comes into a person's life, you and I would give people second chances. God doesn't do that. He doesn't give us second chances. He gives us a brand new beginning. Why? Because one of the things you have to understand about God by His nature is that He is a God of new things. He is a God who can bring the unexpected into reality. Think about this, that God is so into bringing new things into reality that when He created, He created out of nothing. When God spoke, let there be light, light didn't even know that it was light until God had called it by name because before that, the only light that emanated in the world was God Himself. 
And so God, by His nature, is a God of new things. And so I want to encourage you this morning, what is the new thing that God wants to be able to do in your life? It's the new things, isn't it, that that brings the innovation. It's the new things that that challenge the status quo. It's the new things that bring the unexpected into reality. A few years ago, Elise and I had the chance to climb the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And uh, it was a surprise trip that Elise had organised and we got the chance to be able to do it. And if you ever get the chance to climb the Sydney Harbour Bridge, it is totally worthwhile doing. Anyway, they're taking us on the tour and they're telling us different things over the three hours we're doing the trek and But one of the things I found really interesting is that the Sydney Harbour Bridge, still to this day, is the largest bridge of its kind in the world. It's not the longest, but in overall size, even to this day, it's the largest bridge of its kind in the world. Construction started on the Sydney Harbour Bridge in 1926. They didn't finish it till 1932. When they started construction on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, there were six registered cars in New South Wales. For the longest time, they didn't put any lines on the bridge because it was literally impossible to hit another vehicle. (laughs) After some time, they put one dotted line down the middle of the bridge so they knew which traffic was travelling north and which was travelling south. Today, 180,000 cars go across that bridge every single day. What is that? That's people in 1924 dreaming of something that's still 100 years away, right? They weren't looking at just the old thing or even just the same thing. They were looking at a brand new thing. And so they were dreaming about something that was much further in the future, but they'd started doing something about it now. That's what people of faith do. Henry Ford, who invented the, the, the motor car and the Ford Motor Group, was once asked, why? Why cars? And he considered it and looked back at the reporter and said, you know, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Because while the whole world was trying to save, solve the problem of transportation the same way, Henry Ford was dreaming of a brand new way to solve an age-old problem. That's the new thing. The new thing challenges the status quo. The new thing brings the unexpected into reality. It's the new thing that brings innovation. And I want to stir you this morning that, that God is a God of new things and that He wants to do new things in you. You think you've seen everything that God wants to be able to do? You haven't even scratched the surface of what it is God wants to be able to do. For some of you, you're here. This is the first time you've been in church, maybe in a very long time, maybe ever. You've never heard anybody talk about God this much, but one of the things you've got to understand about God is that He's a God who brings new things. And so I want to speak to us this morning about how to possess a new thing in God. If God is fixing to do a new thing, even now it begins to spring up, that then how do you and I possess the new thing that God wants to be able to do? Here's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to become future focused. If you're ever going to possess a new thing that God wants to do, that the first thing you've got to do is you've got to become future focused. You've got to stop rehearsing what happened. You've got to stop rehearsing who hurt you. You've got to stop rehearsing all the good things that happened. And notice what what God says. He says in verse 18, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. In other words, forget the former things. You can't depend on past victories to sustain you. One of the most dangerous places to be is directly after an answer to prayer because there's a temptation then to rest and say, "Ah, it's done. You can't rely on past victories to sustain you. 
But when God brings this word to, to Israel, that they've seen God do some incredible things. I mean, he delivered them out of Egypt. He, he brought them through the desert. He, he, he brought them into the promised land. I mean, God had done some incredible things. And yet at this moment, Israel's in captivity. And those past victories, whilst they're good reminders, are doing absolutely nothing to liberate them. And so God says, you've got to forget the former things. In other words, you can't depend on past victories to sustain you. And don't dwell on the past. In other words, you can't allow past failures to possess you either. The question isn't, what has God done? The better question for us to ask is, what is it that God is doing right now? Some of you have seen God move in incredible ways, even as we heard a testimony this morning. But do you think that's the extent of what God is able to do? Come on, for some of you, God has used you in incredible ways, in ministry and in business and in your family, and you've seen the goodness of God. But do you think that you've even scratched the surface of what God is wanting and able to do in your life? And so God says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. In the early chapters of Genesis, God is fixing to do something brand new. For the first 11 chapters of Genesis, God is moving universally. But in chapter 12, God begins to speak to a man because he's about to set about bringing about a nation. God's fixing to do something new. We're introduced to Abraham, not actually through Abraham. We're introduced to him through his father. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 31 introduces Abram this way. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. I want to encourage you, if you're going to possess a new thing in God, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to become future-focused. But when we're introduced to Abram, who's later known as Abraham, we're introduced to him through his father, and perhaps the saddest line in that verse of Scripture is they came to Haran and they settled there. Terah lives for another 205 years and he never leaves Haran. He's actually going from Ur of the Chaldeans to the land in Canaan. The implication of the Scripture is actually that the call of God to go from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised, was actually not a call that came to Abraham first. It was actually a call that came to his father. His dad just stopped halfway. If you map it out, if you go from Ur of the Chaldeans, you sort of go up to Haran and then you come back down and around to Canaan. Literally, Haran is halfway. Terah settles for a lifetime in a place that was only ever supposed to be a stopping point. And you can kind of understand why. Because Terah has three sons and one of them, his name is Haran. That's Lot's dad. Haran dies. And as Terah is taking his family from Ur of the Chaldeans all the way across to the land of Canaan. He stops in Haran, and when he stops there, the land is so filled with memories he can't bring himself to leave. This is the place that's named after his dead son. And so he gets to Haran, and he sees a tree, and he remembers that's where he taught Haran how to climb a tree. But of course, Haran is dead now. And he gets to a field, and he sees the field, and he remembers that's where he taught Haran how to be able to use a bow and arrow. And the land is so filled with memories for him, he can't bring himself to go another step. And so he settles down and dies 205 years later. Don't ever settle for a lifetime in what God was over, only ever intending to be a season. There are some seasons that have come to an end. 
But that does not mean the plan of God has come to an end. There might be a season that's come to an end. But that doesn't mean that the call of God has come to an end. Don't ever settle for a lifetime in what God only ever intended to be a season. If you're going to possess something new in God, then the very first thing you've got to do is you've got to become future focused. Here's the second thing you've got to do. You've got to begin to make preparations. Verse 19, see, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that God's not doing it. Just because it's outside of your peripheral vision doesn't mean that God is not at work. That word to spring in verse 19 is also a word that could be translated as sprout. Maybe a better translation would be to say, see, I'm doing a new thing. Even now it begins to sprout. Even now it begins to break the surface. You know, when a farmer takes seed and they go and put it into the ground, the farmer plants the seed in the ground and to the untrained eye, it looks like the farmer's worse off. Because at least that what they had is now gone. And so for the untrained eye, when the farmer goes out with their seed and they lay it in the ground, the untrained eye says, man, that's the perfect time to get depressed. Because even what you had is now gone and lost. It's completely unseen. But of course, the farmer... It doesn't go into the the farmhouse and begin to lament the fact that they've lost their seed. No, no, no. They go into the shed and they begin to sharpen the tools for harvest. Why? Because the farmer realizes even though I can't see the seed doesn't mean nothing's happening. It's just outside of my view. It's under the ground, but under the ground something is happening. And it might not be this week and it might not be this month, but in a few months' time, it'll begin to spring and sprout and grow and then it'll be time for harvest. So I'm not going to waste my time lamenting the fact that the seed's in the ground. I'm going to go to the shed and start to sharpen some tools because in a few months' time, it's going to be my responsibility to bring in the harvest. The farmer begins to act in faith. The farmer begins to make preparations and this is what God says. If you're ever gonna possess a new thing, then you've got to forget the former things, become future focused, but you've also, begot, you've also got to begin to make preparations. You've got to understand that the new thing that God wants to do is totally His initiative. It's totally His doing, but He does require us to prepare ourselves. That's what faith is all about. When faith is activated in a person's heart, it begins to calibrate their heart towards what is possible. Come on, this is a church that understands faith. Even in this service already, I think we've prayed like 15 times, right? This is a church that understands faith. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. That means that faith causes you to act in such a way as as if something has come to pass, which as yet still looks completely impossible. That's what faith does. Faith will cause you to price up a warehouse even though you haven't started a business yet. Because faith causes you to act as if something has come to pass, which as yet still seems impossible. Come on, faith will cause you to buy a pram even though you haven't conceived a child yet. Right? For some of the young men who are here, faith will cause you to book the restaurant even though you haven't asked the girl out yet. Right? Because... Because faith will cause you to act as if something has come to pass, which as yet still seems impossible. I'm not telling you something that I read in a book. I'm telling you something that Elise and I have to live. When Elise and I are dating, and I mentioned this at the start, when Elise and I are dating, the doctor who, who performs the first surgery, of which Elise had a number of surgeries following, said to us, It'll be, it'll be almost impossible for you guys to have children. We were in North Queensland at the time. We were in Townsville. And, 
every year I would go and preach in some of the smaller churches that were around for the Bible college that we were running at that time. And I went to this little church in Ayr. And I shared in this church that, that, you know, that diagnosis took us by surprise, but it didn't take God by surprise. It's not like God's in heaven going, oh my gosh, I didn't see that happening. Oh, oh, that's a shock. So it's a shock for us, but it's not a shock for him. Well, a year later, I'm back in the church and this old South Sea Islander lady who would have been close to 90 at the time comes up to me at the end of the service. And she says to me, she says, I remember you were here last year and you're talking about you and your wife. And, and so I, I wanna pray a blessing on you that when you go home, you'll, you'll have a child. And I don't know why I told her this. Probably because who the heck is she gonna tell? I said to her, well, actually, we made the decision last night that we're gonna go off the pill and we're gonna, we're gonna believe God for a child. We felt pregnant with Jonathan within those seven days, which actually we probably didn't realize how much of a miracle that was. We thought, well, God's healed us. It's great. There's nothing more to worry about. And a year later, we're on a youth camp. And the last day of the youth camp, we just found out just beforehand that we're pregnant. And on the last day of the youth camp, Elise says to me, something doesn't feel right. I'm scheduled to go from the youth camp that's in Noosa to drive up to the one that's in Mission, fly to the one that's in Mission Beach. And I say to her, if you don't want me to go, I just won't go. I'll just tell the guys to organize it without me. She's like, no, 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 you go. It'll be fine. I drive to Brisbane, fly to Townsville, drive from Townsville to Mission Beach. I'm in Mission Beach for like five minutes and Elise calls me and she's like, you need to get home right now. I say to the boys, I'm like, youth camp looks like it's gonna be great. Have fun, enjoy it, see you and come home. We have our first miscarriage. The irony is we're looking after everybody else's children but we're losing our own. That takes some wrestling in your own journey of faith. That happens another five times before Sophie. In the middle of that, we felt like God gave us a promise about a little girl. In fact, it felt so strong, we felt like God had given us her name. We had pastors and leaders, people that we really trusted, come to us and say, why don't you just be grateful for the child that God's given you? Maybe you guys should look at adoption. And we had said, you know what? We would do exactly what you're saying, except we cannot shake the fact that we feel like God has promised us a little girl and that God has given us her name. We had friends in South Africa at the time and they had called us and and they called to say, hey, we don't know what's going on, but God has shown us a vision of your family and, and with a little girl and her name means wisdom. But because of the time difference, we called them and we said, did God say that her name means wisdom or did God actually give you her name? So well, actually God gave us her name, but we were too nervous to say it, so we just looked up what it meant. We said, the name is the name's Sophie, isn't it? I said, yeah. But we didn't know what else to do. We wanted to act in faith, right? Because faith is the substance of things hopeful, but it's the evidence of things not yet seen. And so we bought a, bread, a bedroom sign, a brass bedroom sign that read Sophie. And every time we'd have a miscarriage, we'd take it out. We'd say, but God, you promised and then we put it away again. Well, eventually we, we went to go and see a doctor. He, this guy was the head of the Queensland Fertility Group. It's kind of miraculous even that we got to see him at all, right? And, and we go to go and see him. And he basically says to us, look, with all of your church travel and everything else, there's really one more shot that we could um, do here uh, for, for you to guys to be able to try IVF because then I'm retiring at the end of the year. Well, about three weeks before we're scheduled to go and see him to, to start this cycle of IVF, he... he um, at least wakes up one morning and she says, I think I'm pregnant. So we call him and we're like, 
we think we're pregnant. Like, without your help, I think this has just happened. <laughs> and, um, and so he says, well, there's only one way to know. Like, come and see me. So we drive to his offices in, in the city. And, and when we go to go and see him, he says, there's only one way to tell. We'll, we'll do a blood test right now. And we'll do an ultrasound. He's doing the ultrasound. And as he's doing the ultrasound on Elise, he says, guys, I'm really sorry. But I'm about to wreck your afternoon. You guys aren't pregnant. All of your at-home tests will come back inflated. What will come back as positive. Um, your hormones are all inflated. But you can see there in the sack that that's the sack. There's no baby in it. You're actually not. You're not pregnant. It's like a false pregnancy. Elise bursts into tears. She says, "You're wrong. You have to rescan me." This is the founder of the Queensland Fertility Group. <laughs> He has 300 doctors that work for him. He's retiring. This is all he's done for his entire professional career. <laughs> but he has a crying woman in his office. So he's like, sure, I'll rescan you. He, he's rescanning Elise. He says, guys, I'm so sorry. This has never happened before. But there's your baby and there's the heartbeat. And we heard Sophie's heartbeat for the first time. We didn't find out with Jonathan what we were having. We wanted to be a surprise. But for Sophie, we wanted to know, is this the miracle that God's spoken about or is there still another one coming? <laughs> so the 20-week scan, the, the guy's doing the scan says, um, do you want to find out what you're having? We're like, yes. So he's scanning. He says, oh, you're having a little girl. Well, we burst into tears. We start crying. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You're hoping for a little boy. We tell him the story, he starts crying, he can't finish the ultrasound, he has to ask somebody else to come in and finish it off for him. I'm not telling you something that I read in a book, I'm telling you something that Elise and I had to live. That faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. That when God is fixing to do something new, he's looking for a man or woman who'll begin to become future focused. He's looking for a man or woman who'll begin to prepare with steps of faith even before it looks like anything is happening. In the book of Genesis, God was fixing to do another new thing. He was fixing to bring water from the sky. You know the story, it's the story of Noah. That, that had never happened before. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that that was part of the reason why everyone thought Noah was such a crazy person because he was building a boat. Because water had never come from the sky. But God, who's not bound by our conventional wisdom, is able to do whatever the heck he likes because he's God and we're not. And so when God decides he wants to bring water from the sky, he just does it. So he speaks to a man called Noah. Well, we know the story, but can you imagine what it was like for Noah? That, that one day Noah comes down from his bedroom and his wife's preparing breakfast and, and, and she's like, hey Noah, how's your day? Have you ever noticed how wives do that? Like, Elisa and I will wake up in the morning. She's like, hey, Dan, like, how's your day going? I'm like, I don't know, sweetie. It's literally just started. <laughs> but, but Noah is there with Mrs. Noah. And how's your devotion today? God speak to you about anything? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, God, God said he wants me to build a, he wants me to build an ark. <laughs> That's awesome, sweetie. What's an ark? Uh, it's like a really giant boat made out of gopher wood. That's awesome, sweetie. Why would we need a boat? We live in the middle of the desert. Because uh, God said it's going like, to ruin or like run. I think rain is what he called it. Because it's going to rain. 
<laughs> That's awesome, sweetie. What's rain? It's water from the sky. On one word from God, Noah spends the next 120 years of his life building the ark. He's not building the ark on his own. He's building it with his three sons. You can imagine how those conversations go, can't you? Dad, I don't want to build the ark this weekend. Boys, well, you're 65 years old and living under this roof, you will build this ark with me. You know how the story goes. It takes them 120 years to build the ark. Then they all get into the ark. God closes the door. And seven days later, rain begins to fall. And now all of a sudden, Noah isn't the foolish man in his generation. He's the wisest man who ever lived. What's interesting to me is that the rain comes right on time for Noah to finish the ark. Which makes me wonder, like if Noah had taken... 140 years to build the ark. Would God have kept the rain from coming? And if Noah had built the ark in 90 years, would God have brought the rain sooner? Which makes me wonder another thing. What is it that you and I have delayed God from doing because we have not been diligent enough to prepare for it in faith? You've got to become future-focused. You've got to begin to make preparations in faith. Here's the third thing you've got to do. You've got to begin to open your heart. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Even now it begins to spring up. Do you not perceive it? That word perceive can also be translated as know. But not like as in know intellectually, but, but know as in give yourself fully. Like as in Adam knew Eve and they conceived and bore a child. You understand that that knowing was more than just getting to know each other. Like Adam knew Eve and they conceived. Do I need to fill this blank in anymore? You're, you're tracking with me, right? And so when the scripture says, do you not perceive it, do you not know it? God's not asking, do you intellectually understand that I'm doing new things? What God is really asking is, like a husband and wife, will you unreservedly give yourself to the new thing that God wants to be able to do. In the New Testament, God was fixing to do a new thing. It was called immaculate conception. That had never happened before. It's never happened since. But because God is a God of new things, he's not bound by old methods. And so in Luke chapter one, we know this story, right? It's a part of our Christmas stories that we tell. Luke chapter one and verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this happen? I've never had a man and the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will cover you. The holy child you give birth to will be called the Son of God. See your cousin Elizabeth, as old as she is, is going to give birth to a child. She was not able to have children before, but now she's in her sixth month. For God can do all things. Then Mary said, verse 38, I'm willing to be used of the Lord. Let it happen to me as you've said. And the angel went away from her. When you read that passage, you realize that Mary is not naively getting herself into this. Like Mary understands what this means. She lives in an honor and shame society and she's not yet been with her husband because she's still only engaged to be married. And so she realizes if people start seeing a bump, they're gonna start asking questions. And at the very worst, I'm gonna lose my life. I could be stoned for this. And at the very best, my only hope is that me and my child would grow up in shame. Everybody always casting suspicions as to how this all took place because God, 
God, God did it. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna make a lot of sense. And so when Mary asks the questions of the angel, she's not doing it naively or blindly. No, 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 she, she understands precisely what this is gonna mean for her life, that this is gonna be a big deal for her. And yet at the very end of it, she says, look, I don't understand everything that's going on here. I don't understand how God's gonna do this. But, but nevertheless, God, if this is what you're doing, then I'm gonna give myself fully to the new thing that you're doing. In some ways, this is the hardest part to be able to do that because to fully lean in and unreservedly give yourself to the promise that God's given is to really put yourself out there on the limb. It's to risk looking foolish. It's to risk bringing shame. It's to risk, in some times, it feels like it's to risk everything. And yet Mary, with some faith, maybe not a lot, but just a little, says to the angel, I don't understand everything that God's doing, but if God's in this, then I'm in it too. If you're gonna possess a new thing in God, you've gotta become future focused. You've gotta begin to make preparations, but the other thing you've gotta be able to do is you've gotta be able to open your heart to the new thing that God wants to be able to do. Yeah, there might be people who are in this room today and actually what God needs to do is bring some healing. But because when, when there's bruising and there's scar tissue, the last thing you want to do is open your heart to a new thing. No, no, no. When punches are being thrown, the first thing you do is you sort of guard your ribs. But maybe God's asking, would you begin to open your heart again? Would you begin to open your heart again to the new thing that I want to be able to do? Here's the last thing as our keyboard player comes back or the worship team comes back this morning. The fourth and final thing is you've got to have a fresh revelation of God. If God's doing a new thing, then you've got to have a fresh revelation of who God is. In Joshua chapter five, to me, is one of the most amazing passages in the Old Testament because it's Joshua encountering God and he doesn't realize it until the end. Joshua chapter five and verse 13, this is what the Bible says. And it says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped and he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua has crossed the Jordan River. He's prepared Israel and they're about to take Jericho. Joshua is devising his plans. He's trying to work out in terms of military might, how might they do this? And in the middle of his planning of how they're gonna take Jericho and possess the promised land, in the middle of that moment, the captain of the Lord's hosts walks into the room and Joshua doesn't recognize him. And so Joshua reaches for his sword and he says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And the captain of the Lord's host says, I'm neither for you nor for your enemies, but as the captain of the Lord's host, I've now come. And Joshua realizes and, and he bows down and he begins to worship and the captain of the Lord's host does not stop him. In fact, he encourages him, take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua does so. In the Old Testament, there were Christophanies. 
pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. You remember the, the incarnate moment, right? That's what we celebrate at Christmas, like, wah, wah, baby is born. That's the incarnation. But in the Old Testament, there were pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. It's before the curtain is raised on Jesus' incarnation. It's like Jesus steps out from behind the curtain, plays a cameo role, and then goes away to be revealed at the incarnation. When Jacob wrestles with a man in the morning, he says, I'm gonna call this place Penuel because I saw God face to face and yet my life is preserved. Why? Because he was not wrestling with any man. He was wrestling with the God-man, Jesus Christ, and he realised it. When Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were thrown into the fire, you remember Nebuchadnezzar turns to one of his advisors and said, did we throw three boys into the fire or four? And the servant says, we, we threw three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, yeah, well, there's a fourth one in there and he looks like the son of God. There's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And here's Joshua in this moment, devising the plans for Jericho and, and, and Jesus shows up. But we know that it's Jesus because Joshua begins to worship and the captain of the Lord's host does not stop him. If this was an angel, an angel would stop him. Like an angel would be like, whoa, buddy, stand up. That is not good for my job security around here, right? Because angels know what happened to Lucifer when Lucifer wanted to receive worship. So an angel would never receive worship. Worship is reserved for God alone. And yet the captain of the Lord's host does not stop Joshua from worshiping. He encourages him to take off his sandals because the place where he's standing is holy. This is not Joshua encountering an angel. This is Joshua encountering God. What's amazing to me is that of all the people alive on the planet in that moment, Nobody knew God more than Joshua. This is Joshua. This is Joshua who saw God deliver them out of Egypt with the plagues. This is Joshua who lived in the wilderness when God had led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This Joshua who saw God feed them even when there was nothing. He brought manna. He brought water from the rock. If anybody knew God, it was Joshua. When Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God, who's the person who meets him halfway and walks, walks down with him? It's Joshua. The Bible says that when Moses would go into the tent of meeting to literally meet with the manifest presence of God, that Joshua would go with him. And when Moses would have to leave to attend to the needs of the people, Joshua, who didn't yet have those responsibilities, would wait longer in the tent of meeting because he wanted to be in God's presence. If anybody, if anybody knew God, it was Joshua. If anybody knew God's presence, it was Joshua. And yet here is Joshua face to face with God and he can't recognise that it's God. Why? Because God is choosing to reveal Himself in a way that Joshua has not seen before. If God had revealed Himself as a deliverer, Joshua would have recognised he'd seen God deliver. If God had revealed Himself as a provider, that Joshua would have recognised God because he'd seen God provide before. If God had revealed Himself as a healer, then Joshua would have recognised Him because he'd seen God heal before. But Israel was about to do something that Israel had never done before. Because tomorrow they were about to pick up swords and then we're gonna go on a conquest of the promised land. They'd never had to fight before. 
And so God reveals himself as the captain of the Lord's host because he's asking them to do something they've not done before. So he's revealing himself in a way that Joshua has not seen before. And Joshua is face to face with God, a God who he thinks he knows and he can't recognize him. God wants to do new things. Perhaps what he is asking of us is to draw us away to have a fresh revelation of who he is. What is the new thing that God wants to do in you? Where have you settled and said, this is enough? I've seen it all. Maybe even right now, God's beginning to stir in your heart. Don't settle. Don't settle for a lifetime in a place that was only supposed to be one season. Maybe even this morning, you'd say, do you know what? God's given me a promise, but I've become lax in it. I've sort of left it to its own devices. I've maybe even started to doubt whether or not it was true. And you feel God begin to stir your heart. It's time to make preparations. Come on, people of faith begin to prepare even before that which is impossible starts to look possible. Maybe God's beginning to stir your heart to do that. Maybe it's that God wants to begin to speak to you, but your heart's not open. Maybe out of fear or, or maybe because you just don't know how, but, but, but God wants you to begin to open your heart and begin to hear from Him. Or, or maybe it's that God is calling you away with Him to have a fresh revelation of who He is. There is new things that God wants to be able to do in your life. There are new things that God wants to be able to do in your marriage. There are new things that God wants to be able to do in your family and through your children. There's new things that God wants to be able to do in this church. You think you've seen the extent of what God wants to be able to do? You think the biggest building that's gonna be on this site is gonna be the one at the back? That's gonna be like the youth hall for all that God wants to be able to do. You think this will be enough property for what God wants to be able to do on this side of Brisbane through this great church? You haven't even touched the surface of what it is God wants to be able to do. You think you've seen God do miracles? You haven't seen the, the, the smallest part of it. God wants to do incredibly more than you could ask or think or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. It's not because of us, but it is because of His power. So what is it that God wants to be able to do? Would you stand to your feet this morning? If you're here this morning, and even as I've been preaching, something of what I've shared this morning has begun to rattle your cage. Maybe it's begun to stir something that's been dormant. Maybe you sense that God's wanting to be able to speak to you, reveal Himself in a new way. Maybe it's that God's beginning to stir you to begin to take steps and actions of faith, not to rest on your heels, but to begin to step on the balls of your feet in faith. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, you sense that God is beginning to speak to your heart. Just right where you are, would you just lift your hands before heaven? I wanna pray for you. Come on, right where you are, just begin to lift your hands towards heaven. I wanna pray for you this morning. Lord, I thank You this morning for every single hand that's lifted in this room. God, people greatly loved by You. And Lord, I pray even right now, that God, You would begin to work miracles and breakthroughs in their life. Holy Spirit, I ask that even right now, You begin to reveal Yourself in new and fresh ways. That God, there would be a tide of faith here at Hope Community Church, that as that tide of faith begins to rise, that all the boats in the harbour begin to lift with it. That God, tonight, even in this encounter night, God, that every time we gather together to worship and to pray and to open Your Word, that God, there'd be a rising of faith on the inside to begin to possess all that You have God, let this be a place that's known for miracles. Let this be a place that's known for Your presence. God, let this be a place that's known for God doing new and fresh things. Holy Spirit, I ask, let it be so. 
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, begin to minister into people's hearts and lives. In Jesus' name. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed. I always do this as kind of part of the responsibility. But I want to ask every person who's in this room today just one question before I finish today. I want to ask you this. I want to ask you, are you right with God? I don't mean, do you believe in God? I don't mean, do you pray sometimes? I don't mean, were you christened as a child? What I really mean is this. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you stopped and you asked for God's forgiveness and you invited Jesus to be the Lord and Saviour of your life? There might be people who are in this room today and, and maybe you've, you've been around church lots before. Maybe you'd even describe yourself as a spiritual person, but even as you think about it this morning, there's never actually been a moment like that when you've stopped and you've asked for God's forgiveness and you've invited Jesus to be the Lord and Saviour of your life. In just a moment, if that's you, I'm gonna ask you just to lift up your hand. I'll see it and acknowledge it and then you can put it down again. But just saying, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but I wanna be. There might be other people who are in this room today and you'd say, do you know what, Dan, I prayed a prayer like that a long time ago, but I know in my own heart, I've walked away from God. You know, the funny thing is we don't need anyone to point out to us when we're not right with God. We kind of instinctively know it in our own hearts. And so maybe you're here today and you're saying, Dan, I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. Include me in this prayer again in just a moment. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you just to, to lift up your hand. I'll see it, acknowledge it, and then you can put it down again, but you're saying, Daniel, that's me. Include me in this prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed across this auditorium this morning, if that's you, either you're not right with God or maybe you're rededicating your life, just right where you stand, would you just lift your hand? I'll see it. Thank you so much. I see your hand and just up the back here as well and just to the side. Somebody else here this morning saying, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but I wanna be. Just right there, just right at the back. I see your hand too. Somebody else here this morning saying, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but would you pray with me? Would you include me in this prayer? Thank you so much, sir. I see your hand too. There's somebody else here today. I don't want to labour this point, but I also don't want to rush it. I know how important it is. Thank you so much. I see your hand too. Is there one more person who would say, Daniel, that's me. I want to know with certainty as I leave today that I'm right with God. You can. Thank you, mate. I see your hand. You're worth waiting for. Just everybody who lift their hands, while heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed so that I don't miss it. Would you just one more time, would you just lift it up high but look up at me to make sure that I can see you? Just right here and here and over here as well. And there and just over here on this side. I'm glad I did that. And just here as well. And the gentleman just there. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray a prayer. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believing that God raised Him from the dead, that in that moment you shall be saved. The Bible says actually as simple as that. It's as simple as praying a prayer. And I don't know whether you've ever prayed before. If you stick around this church, you'll definitely learn how to pray. But to make it really simple, I'm gonna pray the first part of this prayer. I'm gonna get you to repeat it after me. And this morning as we do that, so we both believe it in our heart and confess it with our mouth, we're gonna believe that's exactly what's gonna happen in your life. In fact, I'm gonna get the whole church to pray it with us. 
So let's pray together, church. Pray this after me. Pray, dear Jesus. Come on, in a big, loud voice. Dear Jesus, I come to You this morning and I realise that I need You. Jesus, I ask You to forgive me of all my mistakes. Jesus, wash my heart completely clean. Jesus, I thank You that You love me, that You proved it when You died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, from this morning on, I wanna live for You. I wanna be a Christian. Fill me with Your Holy Spirit and change my life. In Jesus' mighty Name. Lord, we pray this morning, God, for each one of those people, that God, they would even sense, even right now, God, Your forgiveness, that it might be like a weight that falls from their shoulders, that God, they become aware of Your love for them, that God, it might almost feel like a tidal wave that sweeps over their soul. And God, I pray that over the coming days, weeks, even months, they become increasingly aware of the great plans and purposes that You have for their life. In Jesus' mighty Name. Everybody said? Amen. Come on, we put our hands together this morning for those who prayed that prayer. I want to encourage you this morning. For those of you who prayed that prayer, something significant happened in your life today because you connected with the God who created you. That's not to be taken lightly. That's significant. And the outside of your life will still look the same. You're still wearing the same clothes. Unless you're stealing someone's car on the way out, you'll still go home in the same car. The outside of your life is gonna look the same. But something is forever changed on the inside because you connected with the God who created you. So this would be my encouragement to you. Every day for the next six days, get up and pray one simple prayer. Pray, God, help me to live for You today. And then just try and do it. Some days you'll feel like, I got, I got that one right. Other days you'll feel like, I eh, did not get that right. At the end of six days, just come back to church. Just do that for a few weeks and a few months and begin to see the life-changing power of God at work in your life. Come on, one more time, can we put our hands together for these guys who prayed that prayer? Thanks so much for listening to Hope Community Podcasts. We hope you enjoyed today's message and remember to subscribe to the channel to keep up to date. From everyone here at Hope Community, have the best week.